0: Are listening to episode 19 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written in read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 37, Break All Orbital, 2358, September 9th. After the insanity of the trip, it was rather peaceful to be docked again. Third watch got the duty, and I was just as glad. Burnside hadn't said more than absolutely required to, to change watches. Glaring at me, but never successfully attempting another reprimand. According to my resident rumor monger, he'd been totally unsuccessful in convincing Davies to take up where they'd left off as well. It was an odd feeling having him come to the wardroom and eat meals. Everybody pretending that nothing had changed, that nothing was wrong. But we all knew that he had this skeleton in the closet. As time wore on... I finally realized that everybody else had already known what a miserable excuse for a human being he was. I was just catching up with the rest. One thing had changed, and that was Freddie. After that night with Penny Davies, she didn't sit hunched over when Birdside was in the room. Whatever burden she'd been carrying, it had been lifted. I was glad to see it because she was a pretty amazing individual. Liberty was delayed, while Confederation officials certified the embargo locker, of course, but once that was over, the parade off the ship started with the captain and David Burnside. As the afternoon wore on, almost everybody who wasn't on duty left the ship. Seemed almost like old times. I still remembered my first impression of the ship when I came through the lock, and I didn't want to be embarrassed that way again. Anybody could come to call, and what would that say about us? So for the first couple of stands that first afternoon, Juliet, Charlotte, and I got busy with the sweepers and the swabs, and cleaned from the lock back through the main passageway to the ship's office, deck to dock, bulkheads around. After the first rush of liberty-goers, there wasn't anybody to get in the way or leave footprints on the freshly swabbed deck. When we were done, I took a moment to step off the ship and get a good snootful of cold dock air, and then stepped back aboard. The sour smell that I associated with the lock and the William Tinker was gone, It was replaced with a faintly chemical smell from the cleaners we used, but we left the big lock open for half a stand to let it air out. It chilled the main corridor down, but it was much fresher after that. About 16.30, Mel stopped by the office. "'Nice job on the lock and passageways,' she said. "'Thanks,' I told her. "'I think that's the last bit of the ship not to be brought up to snuff. "'Except maybe here in the office. "'I looked around, embarrassed that I hadn't thought of it after sitting in it for over a stand. "'She chuckled. Don't sweat it. We'll be in port a couple of days.' And just so that the OOD knows, I'm going ashore to get dinner in a real restaurant. I'll have my tablet. Bit me if you need me. Okay. That leaves just me aboard as officer, I asked. She nodded. I think so. Try not to break the ship, okay? I laughed and agreed. When she'd gone, I headed to the galley. Mel had reminded me of something. I found Mr. Voorhees with his head in an oven, looking over a tray of cookies. The smell was wonderful, and the cookies looked absolutely gorgeous. Mr. Voorhees, I called from the galley door. "'Yes, sir,' he said, pulling the sheet of cookies out of the oven and shutting the oven off. "'I'm going to be the only officer aboard for dinner tonight. "'Is there any reason why we have to use the wardroom?' I asked. "'Sar, you don't fancy dining alone, then?' he asked. "'No, Mr. Voorhees, I don't,' I told him with a grin. "'Is there any reason I can't take my chances on the buffet here in the mess deck "'with the other six people aboard?' "'No, sir, if you don't mind eating with the common folk,' he said with a grin. "'I laughed. "'Well, I don't know about the common folk, Mr. Voorhees, "'but I'd be honored to dine with the crew.' "'I'm guessing that would save you and the duty messmate a bit of work? "'Oh, yes, sir, it would indeed, and you're welcome on the mess deck any time. "'Thank you, Mr. Voorhees. "'I'll take you up on that while we're in port. "'We were eating the same food. "'It just made extra work for the galley to have to serve it on individual plates in another room, just for me. "'Thank you, sir,' he said, and went back to getting the evening meal ready. "'I prowled the ship looking for anything amiss or out of the ordinary until eighteen hundred, "'and then headed back to the mess deck for a bite to eat.' As I worked through the buffet, I found a small pebble of envy for those who were eating ashore. It seemed like old times to have a mess deck tray in my hands again, and I took a seat at one of the tables. It didn't matter which. I was the only one there. Charlotte Dang came in very shortly after I sat, and she did a double take when she saw me sitting on the mess deck. Sir? I couldn't see having the wardroom set up when I'm the only officer aboard. Join me if you like, Miss Dang. She got a tray and did just that. "'Pardon if I nibble and go, sir,' she said. "'I need to give Juliet as much of a break as I can.' "'I've stood my share of brow watches, Miss Dang. "'No need to apologize.' I smiled. "'The pleasant company made the bland food more enjoyable, "'and she soon traded places with Juliet, "'who came to join me for her dinner as well. "'By then I was down to coffee and some of Mr. Voorhees's cookies. "'There was no question that the man could make cookies. "'Apparently he was more baker than chef, "'and I wondered if he'd mind a few pointers. "'With nobody else to see, perhaps I could get away with a visit.' While Juliet and I were eating, the engineering crew came to eat. The elegantly tall Ignaria from Power, Ari Baranovsky from Environmental, and Mosler from Grav. When they came in, all in a bunch, they looked like any group of crew I'd seen anywhere. When they saw me sitting in the back of the mess deck with Juliet, they looked confused, but collected their food and took a table together near the buffet. Juliet finished her dinner and headed back to the lock, and the engineering crew left shortly after. When the coast was clear, I took a chance— Mr. Voorhees, I called, when he came out of the galley to check the buffet. It had been another adequate but largely monotonous collection of soup, salad, and casserole. He smiled and came over to where I was sitting. This isn't quite the same ambiance of the wardroom, is it? he asked. I chuckled. No, but there are times when I think this might actually be better. After a couple of heartbeats, I added, If you've got a few ticks before we have to pick up here, I'd like to talk to you about menus. He shrugged and settled across from me. "'Sure thing. You've helped me out a lot in the last few weeks, Mr. Wong. How can I help you?' he asked. I leaned forward and cradled my coffee cup between the palms of my hands. "'This is awkward, John. I don't want to stick my nose in where it's not wanted, but as I've been watching you and your crew over the last few weeks, a couple things seem pretty obvious. I looked him in the eye then and said, "'This is just me talking here, John. If you think I'm out of line, I'm out of line. Just let me know, okay?' Okay, sir. I think I can do that, he said. He looked a little apprehensive, and I knew fully well I was pushing my luck. First, you're an excellent baker. Your cookies and cakes are marvelous, I told him. He smiled. Thanks, Mr. Wong. I love to bake. It's the reason I took the lateral into the steward division. I thought as much. You're also really good with your staff. Penny and Karen are both very hard workers, very personable, I said. At least from the customer side of the house. Your people take good care of us. You may have issues or not, but if you do, they're not obvious from my seat. Thank you, Mr. Wong. That's very nice of you to say. They're both great people to work with, he said. To be honest, they treat me rather like a dim uncle at times, but we get along, I think. I've a watch section like that myself, I confessed. Just between you and me, I'm not entirely sure they're not right some days. We shared a chuckle over that. So, what's the but, Mr. Wong? he asked gently as the chuckles petered out. I didn't even try to pretend. My sense is that you're having problems with the everyday meals. You're great with the baking, but when it comes to the rest, you're following a recipe somewhere, and it's not really working out as well as you'd like. He sat very still for a few ticks. Am I wrong, John? I asked gently. Tell me to butt out, and I'm out of your business. He thought about it for a few more ticks, and then shrugged. No, if I'm going to be honest with myself, these aren't meals to remember. You're a good man and a tough job, John, and I don't want to joggle your elbow, I said gently but I don't want to leave you floundering if you need help that I can give you. I could see him considering the idea, and I left him to his thoughts. Well, you were right about the coffee and cleaning up the mess deck, he said at last. What's your idea this time? What's in your spice pantry? I asked. He shrugged. Normal stuff. Salt, pepper. Parsley, garlic, basil, oregano? I asked him. Yeah, I guess, he said. Come on, I'll show you. He stood up, and I followed him to the galley. He walked to the back of the prep area and pulled open the locker door. There was a canister of salt and a large can of ground black pepper in the handiest shelf. Under that was a collection of dusty cans, jars, and bottles. The oregano didn't look like it had been opened in a month. Tins of onion powder and garlic powder were so covered with galley grime, I'd have been afraid to hold them over a steam kettle for fear the crud would melt off the can and drip into the pot to poison the crew. He looked into the locker with me and said, It doesn't look very good, does it, sir? "'Well, John, let's just say, I think I can help if you're willing and interested,' I told him. He stood there for a couple of ticks, looking into the crufty locker. "'I don't have anything to lose here, do I, Sar? "'You're a good cook, John, but you're a great baker. "'I think you could be a great cook, too, with a little help and some honest feedback,' I told him. "'Where do we start, Sar? he asked. "'I grimaced into the locker and said, "'Make some room here. Toss anything you haven't used this trip. Clean out the locker.' Okay, he shrugged. Then what? And tomorrow morning, we'll go shopping, I said. He began to grin. You're having fun, aren't you, sir? he exclaimed. I shrugged. What can I say? I started on the mess deck. I've got a soft spot in my heart for it. He chuckled. Oh, hi, Mr. Wong, Penny Davis said from the galley door. More big plans? Shh, I said. It's a secret. She smiled and turned to Voorhees. Are we ready to break down the buffet and do the cleanup, Mr. V? she asked. "'Yes, please, Penny. When I've cleaned out this mess, I'll give you a hand,' he said with a glance at me. I headed back to the office by way of the brow. Juliet was working her ship-handling course and keeping an eye on the lock. She grinned at me when I came up to the watch station. "'You planning more changes, sir?' she asked. "'Changes, Miss Jackson?' I asked. "'Yes, changes, Mr. Huang. You know, when what we do today isn't the same thing as we did yesterday. Those kinds of things, sir.' "'What makes you think I'm responsible for any changes, Miss Jackson?' I asked innocently." Sir," she said patiently, "'please don't play innocent. "'Charlotte saw you in the galley "'with your head together with Mr. Voorhees. "'Are we going to be getting something good for dinner any time soon?' "'I think so, Miss Jackson.' "'Oh, if you can do for the menu "'what you did for the coffee, Mr. Huang, "'the crew will be in your eternal debt,' "'she said seriously. "'I chuckled as I made my way to the office.' Chapter 38. Break All Orbital, 2358, September 9th. After weeks of standing bridge watch together, standing watch in the ship's office felt a little lonely. I think Charlotte felt it too because she soon camped out in the office. She was in last-minute study mode working toward the test period. She had only a couple of weeks to finish getting ready, and she was fretting over it. Personally, I thought she was ready, but I couldn't say anything. We spent some time with my drilling her on able-spacer practice tests anyway— there wasn't a lot else to do. At around 20.30, Arletta came into the office. Hey there, she said. She looked like she was up to something. Hi yourself, I told her. Charlotte added a polite, good evening, sir. Ishmael, I need a favor, she said. Do you want me to leave, sir? Charlotte asked. Well, that depends on how badly you want to see an officer beg, Miss Dang, Arletta said with a grin. What do you need, Arletta? I asked. I need a to trade watch with me. If you'll take my watch tomorrow afternoon, I'll take yours the following morning, she said. "'The whole section, or just you and me?' I asked her. "'Just you and me,' she said. "'I've got an appointment tomorrow that will pretty much take all day. "'I tried to change it to the day after, but I can't.' "'I looked at Charlotte. "'You have any problems with that?' I asked. "'Standing watch with Miss Novea?' Charlotte asked. "'No, why? Why would I?' "'Just checking,' I told her. "'It's no problem for me,' I told Arletta. "'Thanks, both of you,' she said with a grin in Charlotte's direction "'and headed off into the ship. "'What do you think?' I asked Charlotte. "'Are you really going to be okay with Ms. Novea?' Well, that depends, sir, she shot back. She's not going to try to form her own harem, is she? You're an evil, wicked woman, Miss Deng, I told her with a laugh. You're quite welcome, sir, she said, and went back to her studying. At 23.30, Charlotte got up and stretched. Well, sir, I'm going to head to the mess deck now. Opponents will be dragging in soon. But she didn't want to be in the same small room as Burnside. She left unsaid. Okay, Miss Deng, have a good day off tomorrow and have fun with Miss Novea. "'Thanks, sir, she said. "'We'll have a right cherry hen party, we will. "'Miss Novea, Juliet, and I. "'Guess who we'll talk about?' "'She didn't wait for an answer, "'but sailed out of the office, headed into the ship. "'David Burnside came into the office at the stroke of 2345. "'He reeked of beer and was still in his civvies. "'He'd obviously just come from the lock. "'I believe you, Mr. Wong,' he said very precisely. "'Sign off the watch and I'll change my clothes.' "'If he was slurring just a bit, it was hard to tell.' He looked steady enough, but he didn't wait around for me to even acknowledge his order, but turned and stalked heavily toward his stateroom and officer country. This was beyond acceptable, but I really didn't have any choices left. I followed his command and put him on watch. I also stopped by the lock before going back to my stateroom, passing Juliet on the way. A heads up on tomorrow, Miss Jackson, I told her. I'm swapping watch with Miss Novea. She'll be your OOD for the next watch. Anything serious, sir? she asked. I don't know, I admitted. She asked for favor, and I said yes. We didn't get into the particulars. Very good, sir, she said. I'll find out from Charlotte. Good night, sir. She smiled brightly and headed off toward deck berthing. I just sighed. She probably would find out from Charlotte long before I'd find out from Arletta. Shaking my head, I continued to the watch station at the lock. Mr. Mallory, I called as I came down the passageway. Good evening, Mr. Huang, he said. Can I help you, sir? I walked up to the watch station and leaned on it trying to think of how I wanted to phrase the question. I looked up and saw the intercom grill on the bulkhead and decided to go for the direct approach. Is Mr. Burnside drunk, Mr. Mallory? I'm sure I don't know, sir. I've been asleep for the last four stands and just now got up to relieve the watch. Is he even aboard? Yes, Mr. Mallory, he is. If you run into any problems, please bit me, I said. Of course, sir, and he shrugged. Thank you, Mr. Mallory. See you tomorrow. That was about all I could do. I contemplated calling Mel or Freddy, but under the circumstances there was little they could do either. I shrugged it off and went to my bunk. I just hoped he didn't do anything to kill us all before he sobered up. When I went back to the office he wasn't there, but I could hear voices on the mess deck when I turned off to go to officer country. It sounded like a ponus in Burnside, so I didn't fret it. He was at least up and moving around. My tablet bit me awake at zero eight hundred. It wasn't a lot of sleep, but it was some. I'd missed breakfast, but I knew the morning cleanup would be getting done very soon and I wanted to take Mr. Voorhees down to the O-1 deck for some shopping before he started working on lunch. There was no sign of Arletta, and I wondered what she was up to that took all day. I brushed that thought out of my mind and focused on getting myself clean, awake, and into an undress uniform for a short trip ashore. By O-8.30 I was on the mess deck and made my breakfast out of a cup of coffee. Penny Davies was swapping down the mess deck as I came in, keeping a careful eye on Eponis, who was nosed down on his usual table on the back. She smiled when she saw me. I waved and she knew enough not to get between me and the coffee. She finished sweeping while I applied caffeine to my bloodstream through oral ingestion and then came over and stood shyly. Good morning, Miss Davies, I said softly to keep from waking the watchstander. Mr. Wong, she started. I just wanted to say thanks. Don't mention it, Miss Davies, I told her. I didn't do anything except call for help. You didn't take advantage of uh, the situation, she pressed. You could have. No, Miss Davies, I told her with a smile. I couldn't. Well, thanks anyway, she said. It's better. He keeps pestering, but I keep saying no, and his trained gorilla over there has kept his distance, so thanks. You're welcome. For whatever it's worth, you're welcome, I told her warmly. She took her sweeper and headed back into the galley, just as Mr. Voorhees was coming out. Ah, Mr. Wong, he grinned when he saw me. "'Just getting a little liquid breakfast,' I said, raising the cup. "'You about ready to go shopping?' "'Oh, I sorry,' he said. "'I got that locker cleaned out, so it's right spiffy. "'Now you're going to tell me what I should put back into it, right?' "'I'm ready now, Mr. Voorhees. "'If morning cleanup is done and you can accompany me?' "'Of course, sir. "'Penny's just going to finish up, "'and I have one small little task to do before I leave.' Mr. Voorhees walked over to the pile of clean trays, waiting for lunch service, and picked the top one off the stack, turning it this way and that in his hands.' I watched curiously for a while before he noticed me looking. "'Does this tray look clean to you, Mr. Huang?' he asked, holding the tray out for me to see. He had an odd look on his face, but before I could answer, he flung it down on the tiled decking. The metal rang like a bell, bouncing and clattering from the momentum of his throw. "'I think it's dirty now, Mr. Voorhees,' I commented, when the clangor died down enough to speak over. He picked it up and considered it. "'I think you're correct, Mr. Huang.' He crossed to the galley door and put the tray on the counter just inside. Penny, would you put that into the washer for me? I could hear her laughing in the empty galley. Of course, Mr. V., she said with a giggle. I think I'm ready now, Mr. Huang. Shall we go? I led the way off the mess deck, and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a sitting bolt upright in his chair. He looked much more awake. Not happy, but awake. I stuck my head on the office door on the way by, but Burnside wasn't there. I suspected he was in his bunk sleeping, but I didn't say anything to Mr. Voorhees about it. At the lock, Mallory was alert enough and nodded politely when we came up. The O.D. isn't in the office, so if you'd be so kind as to note that I'll be down on the One with Mr. Voorhees for a stand or so, Mr. Mallory. Of course, sorry, he said, and did so as the lock was opening. All quiet overnight, I asked by way of idle chit-chat. Very, Sar, he said, but he winked. John Voorhees may have been an engineman but he had the makings of a great chef. What he lacked in experience, he made up for in enthusiasm, and I have to give him credit. When we went to the chandlery on the O-1 deck, I led him back to the galley supplies. There, in the back corner of the complex, we found just about everything from soup spoons to nutcrackers. The bigger items, like whole ranges and refrigeration units, were represented by catalog, but there was a fully stocked spice locker. For the better part of a stand, I went through the basics with him. He knew the difference between spices and herbs and the advantages of whole over ground, but what he lacked was an understanding of how to use them. As we went through the bales of herbs and the tubs of spice, the scents and textures took me back to the lowest, and I couldn't help but think of Cookie. I know he collected his spices from all over the quadrant, and some of them were his special secrets. I knew I couldn't hope to match his level of expertise, but I could at least get John Voorhees started with a few basics. We each carried a pair of bags when we left. It wasn't a lot, and it was nothing spectacular, but it was the basics. All the things he'd need to get started was learning how they all worked with foods and in enough quantity to make it back to Diurnia. He was grinning from ear to ear. It was no big deal to get the bundles back aboard and checked in. There were special mass allotment accounts for foodstuffs, and these were definitely foodstuffs. We got back to the galley, and I helped him set up his pantry, scooping some of the contents of larger containers into smaller canisters for use while cooking, lining up the herbs and spices in groups and families so the cinnamon and nutmeg weren't mixed with the peppercorns. When we got done, he started putting together a fish stock for the lunch buffet and browning some meat for a pasta dish. His initial instinct was to put it all in, but I convinced him that he should master a few first and he'd have ten and a half weeks to play with the rest on the way back to Diurnia. I steered him toward a bit of tarragon and a few bay leaves for the soup stock and had him lace the meat with basil and oregano. A quick dusting of garlic powder brought out the aroma of the meat, just that little bit more. When we get back to Diurnia, we'll look for some whole garlic, I told him. The flavor adds so much more when it's freshly diced. I left him chortling to himself in the galley, and the smell of that browning meat wafted through the passageways. I had time for a little run before I needed to relieve Mr. Burnside, so I headed for my workout clothes in the gym. I wanted to work up a good appetite. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big Sea from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big Sea at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.